It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon. And welcome into the 2018 Deer Opener Special of Brainerd Outdoors. Wall-to-wall deer hunting this week. We've got you covered uh, with some of the latest from the DNR on regulation changes throughout the state. We've got CWD mandatory testing in parts of the immediate Brainerd Lakes area that we'll cover here in just a bit. Some of the latest products that are out that may help hunters. Some tips as you're heading out to the woods. And, of course, another great venison recipe from Chef Joel from Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick off the show, as always, with our Lake and Field segment, brought to you by Oars and Mine and Crosby. Keep your garage space clear this winter and store your boat at Oars and Mine and Crosby. Their facility is a four-season destination for all the toys that don't fit in your garage. Oars and Mine, located on Highway 6 in Crosby. And and we kick the show off, as we like to do here on our Deer Opener Special, and bring in Brent Beimert with Beimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, just west of Brainerd Baxter, on Highway 210, and and Brent, here we are, opening weekend of the firearm deer season, and I tell you what, things are a little interesting because, uh, you know, you and I were talking off air a little bit, we're not quite into the rut that we normally are this time of year. It's a little bit quiet right now. Um, There's a little bit sniffing going on, um, but I have not seen or heard of a whole lot of chasing going on. You know, it's a great time to be able to call those deer in, grunts, rattles, stuff like that. But as far as the all-out, Jason, we're not here yet. I I would get aggressive now. Um, I will throughout, now from here through November. Um, I'll be on the grunt call. I'll be on the rattle bags hard. Um, Because it's going to break loose here any day. It just hasn't quite yet. You know, those guys that have set the landmines out early, um, they should be getting hit. The deer should uh, recognize to go back to that area. Um, they're checking those out on a daily basis, pretty much. I would definitely get some Mrs. Dopey's uh, uh, passion urine out there, uh, get it hung on a wick, something of that sort. Um, the bucks are definitely, there's a definite increase in activity as far as the bucks go. The little bucks are up running pretty fast right now, looking, and those bigger bucks, they just know. They don't have to hurry into it. They know when those when that time comes. And uh, But there has definitely been an increase in my photos and activity and things like that on my cameras. I want to be where the does are right now. Um, I want to be in the food plots. Uh, the does tend to come out earlier, which is going to draw those bucks out earlier. They're definitely getting on their feet sooner. Um, if you have a specific buck and you know where he's living, get aggressive and get in there on him when the wind is right and when everything is right, uh, get moved in on him. Um, it's that time, you know, uh, he may, he may hang up outside of the food plot, you know, and inside of his more of his core area right now, more so, but he's going to be, they're going to be coming out in, in daylight. And you had said, you know, we're getting a firsthand report from you 
Uh, you were in North Dakota here this past week or so, and they're usually a little bit ahead of us. And you said they weren't even quite to the rut yet. So, I mean, basically you're getting a firsthand view of where we are. Yeah, there was there was really nothing going on. I actually came home early. It was pretty slow. In my, in, we didn't have a great moon. We had a full moon as well. So there's a few factors that played into it. But I didn't see any type of chasing at all. Um, I had uh, does and fawns all together. You know, little bucks would come by, and they'd maybe go downwind, sniff a little bit, but not even pressure them at all. So that was just last week, and now nothing was nothing that I seen was even remotely close at that point. But every day is going to be different now because sooner or later things are going to bust loose. Decoy placement, Brent, uh, really comes into play with bow hunting. As far as gun hunting goes, how does that play in? Um, you can, like when I place my decoy when I'm bow hunting, uh, it's usually within 40 yards of me. With gun hunting, you can set a decoy in the middle of the field and have it 50 yards, 80 yards, 100 yards away from you. And, um, you know, so you can place your decoy out further away from you with a gun than you would with a bow. Um, it doesn't, you know, I'm real cautious of how I place my decoy when um, I'm bow hunting because a deer 90% of the time is going to come downwind of the decoy and face it head on. So you want to always typically have the wind blowing over the decoy's butt and and then the deer's going to circle around to that side and uh, hopefully he's not paying attention to your blind or your setup. He's paying all attention to his, to the decoy and that's where you take your opportunity. And uh, it, it it's pretty fun to hunt over a decoy if a person hasn't done it. Um, I will hunt over a decoy pretty much from here on out if I am in an open area. I don't put place a decoy in thick woods because they can't see it as far. If a deer or a doe or anything comes through and all of a sudden there's a deer there, it may spook them a little bit. So it has to be an open area, field, food plot, something where they can see it from a distance. The other thing, Brent, I thought it's going to be a little interesting is the weather. Uh, we're looking at possibility of rain, possibility of rain-snow mix, possibility of just snow. How is that going to play in? Well, it's, it's not going to be fun to sit in, I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, the rain especially. I don't mind sitting in snow, um, uh, but rain is no fun to sit in. Get an umbrella over your head, uh, box blind, something. Um, but if you decide not to go to the woods, you are not going to shoot a deer. So <laughs> you've got to be in the elements. Um, deer will move in the rain, they'll move in the snow. They don't like to move as much in freezing rain. Um, and not saying they won't, but it, they don't, they don't like to, um, just like we don't like to. So, um, you just gotta, you gotta fight through it and, and be there when they are. Yeah. I think that's the interesting thing. We think of, if we're not going to move around in it, they're not going to move around in it, but you know, if they're starting, like you said, things start to pop here with the rut in the next day or two, um, rain or not, they're going to move around. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, they don't, you know, like bucks, I hunt the moon a lot. And, um, so when, when it's rut season, I kind of throw that out of the equation. I throw the rain out of the equation. The deer are going to be on their feet. If it's really bad, raining, windy, something like that, they may be hauled up a little bit, but as soon as that wind or rain breaks, that's when you want to be out there. I don't care if it's noon or three or whichever. You want to be there after the storm. They'll refresh in scrapes. They come by and check all those, get those freshened back up. 
and they just get on their feet then more so at that point. So you definitely want to be there after the, the bad weather, too. Are you starting to see a few scrapes out, out there, Brent, and a few rubs? I am. Um, not as many as I thought, but they are starting to pop up, and especially in my spots where they always are. I've moved my cameras to those spots even before the the scrapes were there. Um, I knew that eventually they're going to, and they've started to show up now. So my cameras are there taking pictures and um, seeing what's in the woods. A couple of things product-wise we want to talk about, uh, Brent. Before we get into that tree stand safety, uh, we can't stress that enough because you know, we just don't want somebody having an accident this weekend. Absolutely. You know, there's there's so many great things on the product. Hunter safety system, harnesses, easy to get into. You put them on just like you'd put on a coat or a vest. You know, strap your legs, strap your chest, and you're good to go. Um, it keeps you safe in the tree. You cannot fall out of a tree if you're harnessed up. There is... Um, ropes that you can climb your tree with. A lot of accidents happen from transfer, from steps to stand. Well, there's climbing ropes that are attached to your harness. You slide the knot up the rope as you climb. That way, if you do fall while you're trying to get from your steps to stand, you're locked onto that rope. Now, you do have to bring that up one time, tie it onto the tree, and get it where it needs to be. And um, But then every other time you go up and down that tree, you're locked all the way up, and then you're locked on when you get there. So, um, you know, we want everybody to be safe in the woods. Pay attention to what you're shooting at. Know what you're, you know, you know what's behind your target that you're shooting at. Um, just be safe in the woods this weekend. And you've always said, Brent, I thought you 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 sum it up perfectly with these harnesses. It's the cheapest life insurance policy you'll ever buy. Absolutely is. Um, you know, it's a one-time deal. They're they're anywhere from. 59 bucks to $129, all depends on how elaborate you want to get with it. But even a lot of stands now these days, they have harnesses in them. Just about every stand manufacturer sends a harness with. Now, they're not as convenient to get in as like a hunter safety system or some of the others out there, but they're still there and they're free with the stand. So, you know, just wear them. You know, some guys try to be tough and not wear it. I don't need a harness. Well, you don't need it until you fall. All right. So what's the harm in putting it on? For sure. Speaking of which, maybe there's going to be some hunters out in the woods this weekend and go, you know what, I need a new tree stand. Um, you guys have got a new line out there with not, not only tree stands but blinds as well um, that hunters are going to like. Yeah, they're ambush hunting blinds. And I'll tell you what, they are the best hard-shelled, box blind, whatever you want to call them. They are the best ones on the market that I have found. Um, fully insulated, aluminum construction, not wood. Uh, Duraboard outer, rubber coin rubber flooring, um, real glass windows, all piano hinged, so they fold down nice and silent. Solid door. They're they're completely rodent proof. No mice is going to get into this thing. Carpeted walls, super silent inside. I mean. They are the nicest hunting blinds that I have found on the market, and and we put them in. We got the Stalker series, which is a it's a six by six um, blind, uh, plenty of room for two, possibly three people, and then we also have the Phantom series, which is uh, a five by five blind, which is all got the same you know coin rubber flooring, the carpeted walls, tinted windows. Um, they're a great blind. 
So there's one more thing for hunters to check out. One last thing, Brent, we don't want to forget about the bow hunters because I know this weekend isn't necessarily about them, but you know, after a few weeks, you're going to get in the late season bow too. You guys got the full line of all the, the, the big bows that are out now for 2019. Yes. Um, it's already starting to show up. We have our, our mission line has already come in. The whole 2019 mission line has came in. Um, we have some 2019 elites, in that bow line. Then the Hoyts are supposed to be here today. We just haven't seen UPS, so we're kind of excited waiting for that. And then Matthews, uh, they'll be releasing their bow, I believe, on the 13th of November. So, um, you know, as soon as our gun season is winding up, guys will be ready to, to get that new bow in their hands. So the Matthews will be here on the 13th is when we'll see that one. Yeah, and you were in North Dakota last week. You got a trip coming to Illinois coming up too, right? Yep, my this will be my twentieth year headed to Illinois, so I'm getting pretty excited for that. Um, I'm gonna spend the weekend here at home a little bit and see how things are going. But then I think it's time to head south. So, are you going to be able to get out in the woods, Brent, or are you going to pretty much lock down in the shop for the weekend? I might be out there a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me you're going to find your way out there one way or another. Somehow or another, I might be in a tree. There you go. <laughs> That's Brent Beimert, Beimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop. Check them out just west of Brainerd Baxter on Highway 210. They're all over Facebook as well. Brent, I appreciate it. Good stuff as always. Uh, good luck if you do get out into the woods. Good luck in Illinois, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you here through the rest of the fall. Sounds good, Brian. Thank you. And just uh, everybody, I hope they have good luck and stay safe this weekend. And Bring out your pictures or bring your deer out. Let us take a look so we can see what's uh, going on out there. Sounds good. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. All right, when we come back, we'll talk to Eric Thorson. He is the big game manager with the Minnesota DNR here in Minnesota. How's our deer population looking? What's changed in regulations? And a few more questions for Eric when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors Deer Opener Special right here on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors Deer Opener Special here on B93.3. Getting you set for the 2018 Deer Opener here in Minnesota. And one of the questions hunters always have as they head out to the woods opening weekend is what is our deer population looking like? So I thought we'd bring in Eric Thorson. Eric is the acting big game program leader with the Minnesota DNR to talk a little deer hunting with us. How you doing, Eric? Very good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. I know you're getting to be uh, kind of the busy season for you. First off, Eric, we'll talk about some of the regulation changes, and we'll start. We'll get into the, the whole state, but we'll get start right here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area. Anything change? Yeah, um, you know, certainly we continue to see deer populations recover. I know we had a, a bit more winter last year, especially, you know, a fairly prolonged winter into the spring, but um, we don't think it had a whole um, large effect on the, on the deer population, so we're continuing to kind of liberalize the deer hunting regulations and, and allowing, um, you know, more bonus permits to be used to try to control populations. Um, and so in the Brainerd Lakes area, a number of the permit areas in that region seem to be at our population goals or, or, or slightly above, um, and so we're trying to bring um, deer populations down a bit uh, through hunter harvest, um, so there is more opportunities available for, for deer hunters in, in that region. There, there's quite a variety. It goes from, um, you know, a lottery, you know, not too far from, from Brainerd to the north and, and east, um, but a lot of hunter's choice areas, which are um, either sex deer are allowed. Um, you don't need to apply in the lottery for an analyst permit, um, but also there's some uh, managed permit areas um, where it's a two-deer bag limit and also even some intensive permit areas where there's a three-deer bag limit where the deer populations are, are above goal. 
So we're right about, you know, you kind of thinking here and we're, we're doing okay. And, and I, I think some people are kind of wondering how you guys go about determining what that area is going to go and, and how you're going to you know set the regulations for it. What goes into making that decision, Eric? Um, first of all, we start with our population goals that were set. And we had a large goal setting effort um, in central Minnesota in, in 2015, you know, where we had um, stakeholders um, met and, and discussed about, you know, where they want the deer population to go. Um, relative to the current population, you know, we took public input and set those new population goals on a on a deer permit area basis. And so we're trying to to get close to those um, deer population numbers um, for each deer permit area um, across the state. And uh, and so we use that information um, as well as our hunter harvested information. So we have mandatory registration in the state. So you know, every hunter needs to re- report the deer that they harvest, and that's a really important piece of information that we put into our population model. In addition to the winter severity, which is the other main driver of deer. Population populations here in, in northern Minnesota. So when we have severe winters, we have more deer mortality. Um, and so that's all factored into our population model. Um, and that uh, generates a, a deer estimate um, in the spring, so a pre-fawn estimate. Um, so wildlife managers meet and, and um, look at that number and see where it is relative to goal, um, take in a- anecdotal information, what they heard from hunters, what they're hearing from farmers, landowners, that type of thing, um, and then set the, the management designation to, to try to move that population towards goal. Um, and so generally we're more restrictive with uh, regulations when we want to grow the white-tailed deer population in a particular area and more liberal when we try to, want to try to reduce it towards goal. All right, and we are still doing uh, some CWD testing here in Crow Wing County? That's correct. It's going to be a, a, a more focused effort. Um, you know, we did have uh, that uh, game farm positive um, CWD farm in Crow Wing County, and so we had a large um, surveillance effort testing hunter harvested deer last fall. Um, this year we'll be just testing deer in permit areas 242 and 247, um, kind of the immediate vicinity around that, that game farm, and, uh, and that will be required of, of firearms hunters um, that take deer the first two days of the, of the regular firearm season. Had great support and participation from hunters, especially in, in north central Minnesota. You know, deer hunting is really important tradition to them, and they want to keep our wild deer healthy, and so they were very supportive. I know I worked at the check station in Motley, you know, just to the west of Brainerd there, and, you know, had uh, very patient hunters, and, and they brought their deer in, and, and were very interested and concerned about the disease. And, and we got uh, all negative test results um, in the area from, from last year, so that's good news. But the disease does take a while to incubate, so that's why we're planning at least two more years of testing. Um, but um, um, good news initially. So there you have it here in the uh, immediate Brainerd Lakes area and kind of that north-central part of the state. As we kind of drift uh, statewide, Eric, uh, anything changed up in the northern part of the state? Yeah, you know, it's a kind of a, a mixed bag. You know, in far northeastern Minnesota, they certainly had more winter um, this past year, which did have an effect on, on some uh, deer populations up there. And they're still recovering from those hard back-to-back winters here a few years ago. Um, and so it's a little bit more restrictive regulations there. There's more lottery areas, and you even have a bucks-only um, up by International Falls, a bucks-only permit area. Um, and then you go to the northwest part of the state, and there we have, um, you know, kind of rebounding um, deer populations there and um, really want to kind of move populations back down. Um, and so we have quite a few intensive permit areas um, that we have um, available this year and a lot of public land up in northwestern Minnesota. Folks are looking for some um, different opportunities um, that will be, um, be in place up in northwestern Minnesota this year. Southern part of the state, uh, things are a little bit trickier down there. You've got some e- issues down in the southeastern part of the state, but all in all, I think the hunters should be in pretty good shape there too. Yep, you know, we certainly have uh, real healthy deer populations in the southeast. We, you know, certainly have concerns with uh, CWD, especially in the wild deer and permit area 603. So we um, have liberal seasons in and around um, that permit area, trying to get deer densities down and, and, and sample additional deer. 
and hopefully um, remove the, get the disease out of the wild population. Um, but um, overall, real healthy deer population in southeastern Minnesota and, and more liberal regulations down there. Southwestern Minnesota, uh, kind of more ag country. Um, you know, there's not as much habitat um, down there, so some populations are having a little tougher time recovering. And so uh, most of those permit areas in southwestern Minnesota are still kind of in the lottery status. And one last thing, Eric, before we let you go, that you guys have really kind of improved on it, really I think it's going to help hunters a lot too, and that's the DNR website. Uh, there's a lot of great information. There's an interactive uh, map there now that I think is really interesting, that permit mapping tool that you guys have. Uh, that's going to come in handy this year. Yes, that's a really a great tool and, and something that I think all hunters should, should check out. Um, so you can go there and click on a particular permit area that you hunt, and there'll be three options there. There'll be uh, regulations, but then there'll be a detail report, which is like a one page um, kind of PDF document that provides all kinds of great information on um, harvest history, hunting land, you know, and some manager reports about that deer permit area. So a lot of good information um, describing the area. And then also this year that's new is we have a a more detailed um, map of the the permit area that's available as a one-page PDF there as well. And uh, we also have uh, our uh, 2017 deer harvest report, which has got kind of the draw odds um, for the different lotteries that we had for uh, special hunts and, and for the lottery permit areas from last year too so people can check that out before they apply and uh, so lots of great information on our in our DNR website yeah and we'll put a link to that on our website as well so uh, just go to brainerdoutdoorsradio.com and just look for uh, minnesota dnr regulations and uh, click on that and we'll have all that information for you as well uh eric it's great to talk to you i, I know it's kind of interesting i was happy to see these regulations come out and uh because it seems like to me this summer i've been talking to a lot of people and like i just haven't seen many deer and people were worried about that, you know, lingering winter that we had in the spring and what, what that would do. But I, I think all in all, we're in pretty good shape. Yep. And, you know, we can certainly, you know, if the winter has more effects than, than we thought it does, we can certainly make adjustments um, um, in, in, for next year or the, or the year after. Um, deer are pretty, pretty resilient and are able to bounce back pretty quickly. So um, we're just making our, our best assessment on, on uh, what we need to do to control the, the deer population around the state and, and looking forward to a good season this fall. That's for sure. I'm Eric Thorson, he is the acting big game program leader for the Minnesota DNR. Eric, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and uh, good luck. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much. All right, when we come back, one of the big uh, issues this year is the mandatory CWD testing here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area and other parts of the state. We'll talk to Michelle Carstensen with the DNR. What is the CWD threat while we're doing it, and how long will this go on? Are all things we'll cover when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, our deer opener special. And one of the things I wanted to keep hunters in the forefront of their minds is the mandatory CWD testing that is taking place in a couple of zones here in Crowing County. We bring back Dr. Michelle Karstensen with the Minnesota DNR. I just wanted to pick your brain, Dr. Karstensen, on exactly if there's changes, because we were doing this last year, uh, are there changes going into this year? Uh, yeah, we do have some changes from last year. So just, you know, just a quick look back. Last year we did surveillance in, in the, your area for really the first time since sort of the mid-2000s. So we didn't have a lot of recent baseline data. And the reason we were doing surveillance, you know, particularly in Crowing County, was because there was a positive uh, deer farm found there in early uh, 2017. So we wanted to, you know, make sure that there hasn't been infection on the wild deer that's around that farm or that uh, there has been some longstanding infection there that we didn't know about. So we uh, set off to do surveillance there with precautionary testing, 
and we actually collected nearly 8,000 samples last fall, which was great hunter compliance, and happily we never found anything in the wild. So that allows us to have confidence that the disease isn't established in that area, but since the incubation period is up to three years, we want to continue some testing in a smaller area. So we're focusing this fall on about 15 miles around that infected deer farm, so that encompasses only two DPAs. 242 and 247 are going to be the only two deer permit areas where hunters are required on the first two days of the season to get their deer tested. And this is for all adult deer, so not fawns that will be six months old this, this fall. It will be a year old and, and older than that. And, uh, and to accommodate those hunters, we're going to be stationed at five places uh, throughout those two zones um, and uh, working from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. both days to meet and greet hunters and get some samples and hopefully meet our sampling goals, no problem. You mentioned that incubation period uh, with this disease, and one of the questions hunters have, why for three years? Yeah, and that that really is driven by the disease itself. It's unfortunately a slow-moving disease, so picking it up early tends to be difficult. Uh, So it's one to three years for a deer to be exposed uh, to the infectious agent, which is called a prion, and then to actually develop clinical signs. So when something takes that long, you can't really just do one year and done because there could be a more recent introduction and some of the deer in that area, you know, might have been exposed even last year, but the disease was so early in the infection uh, cycle that uh, we really weren't able to pick it up. So we do the surveillance over a three-year period to kind of cover the window and make sure that, you know, our deer are really healthy and we're not missing something early on. Good thing, too, this Brainerd-Merrifield area in which you guys are really focusing on that has shrunk. For maybe to backtrack a little bit, uh, Michelle, why that area? Was there, there was a deer herd there that had you guys concerned, right? Correct. Yeah, there was a deer farm in the Merrifield area that was found infected with CWD early in 2017. And uh, the epidemiological investigation really never pointed to a clear source for how that farm developed the disease. And so that, you know, led us to the risks of was there something on the outside that had been there for a while? Um, or was it a recent introduction into this farm and that deer on the outside of these fences, because it isn't double fenced and they can, you know, exchange um, saliva, and uh, was there something that could have spread from the farm to the wild deer? And so that really raised our concerns about um, seeing if this was a risk to the wild deer surrounding that farm and in that broader area. You know, and we talked with Lou Cornicelli last year after the deer season. He was just ecstatic about hunters' cooperation for this thing. You mentioned the sampling success as high as it was. That's got to really make you guys happy that hunters are this concerned about, you know, making sure this disease doesn't spread. Absolutely. I mean, the hunters are great, you know, and uh, so without their cooperation, we we clearly couldn't do this. So, you know, that, that shows that everybody has a common goal of we all want healthy deer, and uh, we can't do this kind of work without our hunters. Um, and, you know, we, we try to make it as convenient as possible by being, you know, strategically located through the zones. As I mentioned, you know, this coming year for 242 and 247, we'll have five stations. And they'll be in Pine River at the Cass County Fairgrounds, uh, the Gull Lake East Public Access in Nisswa, Crosby City Park, Emily uh, Fire Department, and the Brainerd Whipside Rest. And we, we pick these locations so that hunters don't have to travel any more than 20 miles from anywhere in the zone where they might harvest this deer. Um, and then, you know, we have enough staff there uh, to make the process fast. So if hunters come prepared, you know, they can register their deer any way they, they normally would, phone, Internet, a big game station, 
and have that done before they show up would make things quicker. And, uh, you know, position the deer toward the back of the vehicle or tailgate if they have a pickup and uh, sort of know where they were hunting because we'll be asking hunters for a little bit of information, including where the deer was taken. And uh, then we'll get them through the, the lane as quick as we can. And hunters this year uh, can check their results online, any hunter. And so we had that change. So the year before, it was only hunters in our CWD management zone in the southeast that had that online hunter check. But this year, we changed it to all hunters across the state that are doing CWD testing can go online and get those results in about uh, 10 to 14 days, just under two weeks. If you're outside of the surveillance zone, is there a way you can get your deer tested there, too? Yeah, and so for folks that are just concerned about CWD and, and the potential of consuming venison that might be, you know, infected with the, with the, with the prion, uh, they can take samples um, themselves and submit them to the diagnostic lab at the University of Minnesota. We do have some videos on the DNR website that show how to take the samples yourself and provide some detailed instructions for how to handle the sample and then submit it. Overall cost for that is about $70. Uh, that includes the, the, the lab fees, the testing fees, and the receiving the sample. Um, and there's some other videos up there for folks, too, about caping your deer and quartering uh, that folks should check out. So um, some real new interesting stuff we have up. One of the more polarizing things with all of this is the feeding ban. Some hunters are a little angry about that. Um, some think that you know it's also part of it. Um, that's something that's still in effect here for this year and next year as well, right? Correct. Yeah, the deer feeding ban is is really an important precautionary measure. So we're not you know aiming negatively at folks that want to see deer and like to have salt and mineral licks out. But the problem is that it, it does what it's supposed to do, right? It brings deer to that area and attracts them to those sites. So because we're not completely convinced yet, we don't have a problem with this disease in the wild. We certainly don't want to exacerbate the issue by having deer come into contact, contact with each other in these kind of artificial situations and potentially spread it further. So it's a precautionary measure to keep the deer more nationally dispersed in the landscape until we have more confidence that the disease isn't present. And then those restrictions would be lifted and, and folks can go back to, uh, to feeding deer if they so choose or to use the salt mineral block. We're doing surveillance in, in central Minnesota around Meeker County for the same reasons that we're, you know, around the Merrifield situation because there was a farm there as well that was found positive in 2017. And that zone similarly um, has been reduced in scale because we didn't find anything last year. But the most of our effort this year for CWD testing is focused on southeast Minnesota. Nearly all of Zone 3 is going to be included this year um, in testing, and it's because we have the infection in the wild in uh, Fillmore County. We're up to 18 cases now uh, near Preston, uh, Minnesota, and so there appears to be something that's continuing in that area that we're doing a lot of work to try to, uh, to manage early on. Well, it had some other recent uh, occurrences. There's been a game farm uh, in Winona County that uh, was found positive um, uh, pretty recently, and so we're doing surveillance around that area, precautionary again. And Wisconsin has had a more recent case in Eau Claire County of a sick wild deer that ended up having CWD, and that was roughly 20 miles from the Minnesota border. So that gives us some concern that there might be some movement of deer across the borders and some infection in that area that we weren't aware of. So we have a lot of work going on in southeast Minnesota this year for sure to, to assess uh, this disease in that area. This might be a bit of a rogue question, Michelle, but, um, you know, it seems like a lot of these situations are, are always found around game farms. Is there any 
you know, ideas, any, anything that may be going forward that might just say maybe we need to do away with these game farms or is that something you don't want to go that drastic yet? Well, I mean, the, the game farm management is, is done by the Board of Animal Health, so it isn't in, in DNR's wheelhouse. So that uh, the regulation of that industry isn't part of what we do. But DNR has identified uh, game farms as one risk factor uh, for spreading CWD, uh, but it certainly isn't the only one. Uh, we have had, you know, eight farms in Minnesota since 2002 that were found infected with the disease. But we're well aware that the movement of carcasses across state lines from, uh, from hunters that are hunting out of states or out of country or Canada um, can move this disease as well because there's 25 states and three Canadian provinces now in North America that have found carnivore wasting disease. So our agency has taken a very you know aggressive stance there by basically disallowing any whole carcasses uh, of wild servants to come into Minnesota that aren't properly quartered um, or brain material removed at this amount. Um, and so there's another big risk factor there for how the disease could, could enter Minnesota. So it isn't always just one thing. It could be a multiple uh, number of risks that could bring the disease in. So we try to pay attention to all of them. And that brings up one other question, too, that maybe hunters aren't aware of, and maybe some are, but in, in my case especially, I plan on hunting both Minnesota and Wisconsin this year. You know, what is the process transferring deer back and forth across state lines? Correct, yeah. So, it's you know, this, this change happened a couple of years ago, but uh, folks weren't really potentially paying enough attention. Um, we have had a ban on bringing in, you know, whole carcass, carcasses from known CWD endemic areas in the U.S. already for a decade. But this, the change is that it now says anything from out of Minnesota. So it doesn't look at where the disease was for sure confirmed. It's just outside our borders. You can't bring the whole animal back. You have to bring back animal either in quarters, uh, the long bones can stay in, um, or uh, already packaged venison, um, or uh, um, you know anything that has the brain and spinal column removed. Um, and for taxidermy mounts, you know, they, we want the brain material, of course, out of there, because that's really where the biggest risk is. And, and bringing in the disease. And so folks should just plan ahead. So if uh, if they're going to be hunting in Wisconsin, like you mentioned, you know, quartering the deer is a very simple process. Um, we have, as I mentioned, some new videos up on our website that even show and demonstrate how that can be done. Um, and so those whole quarters could be brought back across the border without any issue and processed, uh, you know, at your home site as you normally might do or, or meat processor if you're choosing. And similarly with, with taxidermy mounts, um, you know, it's, it's a very inexpensive uh, a fee to have a, a, a cape, cape your deer uh, by a taxidermist. Um, also, you can do it yourself. And if those animals are, are properly taken care of out of state, those heads can be brought back and then finished by a local taxidermist of, of someone's choosing in Minnesota, as long as they're free of brain material. And one last thing, Michelle, uh, and this kind of just popped up here recently, and I hope I get this right. There's some something out there now called EHD. What is that all about? Yeah, that's hemorrhagic disease, so epigenetic hemorrhagic disease. And we, we recently had a detection in the state that happened in a game farm, in farm deer um, in Goodhue County. And uh, it's it's a virus that naturally occurs, and it's, it's transmitted by uh, biting midges or gnats. And uh, an interesting thing is that Minnesota has really not been affected by this in recent years or recent decades. Um, but our other neighboring states have reported events uh, in white-tailed deer, particularly that have caused localized mortality, um, 
nearly yearly, but every other year it seems to have bigger outbreaks. And it can kill quite a number of deer in a small area very rapidly. And it tends to be animals found near water. And we've looked for this disease in the wild in Minnesota um, quite a few times, serologically, taking blood samples from different uh, uh, processes we were doing and screening for the disease. And, and we haven't really ever found it in the wild. And we also don't have hunters or folks in the field pointing out that there's wild deer found dead in, in any great numbers, um, individual cases here and there. And we always rule out chronic wasted disease and other major diseases. But this is sort of new for Minnesota. And how exactly this farm um, in Goodhue County you know, got the disease, um, uh, you know, that since, again, they're passed by insects. It seems that if there was insects that were carrying the virus in that area, we should have gotten reports from wild deer, too. And uh, we put the word out, but we haven't had any reports of wild deer found dead in that area. So we're going to continue to, to raise awareness and, and look for any cases that show up. But for now, it seems to be isolated into this skin farm and uh, cause mortality, I think, six or seven deer. Um, died rapidly within a three-day period from this virus. So that's something we'll keep an eye on as well. I would think, Michelle, people, if they want more information and want to keep up on all this, the DNR website's the best place for all that. Absolutely. Yeah, the DNR website is up to date with all kinds of information about what's occurring this year for our different disease surveillance efforts. Um, also, the Hunter's Eggs book does have a listing of all the, the stations we're going to be at for testing this year, information about the hours and things hunters should be aware of. So those are two great resources to check and stay on top of what's coming up for this fall. There you go. Dr. Michelle Karstensen, a very good friend of Brainerd Outdoors, always coming to the table with some very good information, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch with her. Dr. Karstensen, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy. Great stuff, and uh, we look forward to talking to you here real soon, okay? Yep, thanks for having me. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3 and time for our Hungry Hunter segment here on the show. And we bring in our good friend Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. Welcome back, Joel. Thanks, Brian. Great recipe this week, Joel. Braised venison shanks. We'll take, you know, four of our nice venison shanks if, if they're nice whole ones. If uh, if your butcher cut them up for you, you know, nice little pieces, that's cool too. But we'll take uh, four nice, nice size uh, shanks and we're going to pull them out. We're going to rub them down with olive oil. And then we're going to season them up with a little bit of salt and pepper. Let that kind of marinate. You can let it sit on the counter for an hour, or you can uh, you know, put it in the refrigerator and do it overnight. That way the seasoning really really permeates and mm-hmm. really takes all that flavor in. So while we have our uh, venison shanks just sitting out, we can uh, preheat the oven. We'll crank that up to 475. So we're going to blast these things in there. We're just going to blast them in there for 15 minutes just to get a nice crust on the outside, sear them up, just to you know, kind of sew everything and seal all the juices in there. While those are uh, in the oven, we can take our Dutch oven and uh, you know start sautéing off a little bit of bacon. Toss in some onions and let the let the onions kind of sweat out a little bit, just until the bacon starts to get a little bit crispy. And then we're gonna deglaze that with a little bit of a uh, Jack Pine Brewery beer. Ah, boy! You know any kind of any kind of <laughs> beer you have there is is, is good, but we're, we're going Jack Pine this time. We we'll deglaze with the beer, and then we'll add in a little bit of sauerkraut. A little bit of beef stock, uh, some fresh thyme, and a bay leaf. Let that come up to a boil for just a couple of minutes. And we'll pull our shanks out of the oven, and we're going to go ahead and drop those right into our our sauerkraut and uh, beer mixture. And what we're going to do is we're going to cover that up, pop it into an oven, and we're going to lower the oven to 300 degrees 
and we'll pop it in there for probably another three hours just until that until that meat starts to fall off the bone almost. You know, pull them out and uh, serve over a nice bed of sauerkraut and got a delicious venison shank. I would say so. Wow, this sounds fantastic. And there's a lot to it, Joel, but I think once people get going with it, they'll realize it's a pretty simple recipe too. It really is. Once you once you get the shanks in the oven and the the Dutch oven is, is not – you know, there's not really not too much going on with that. Sure. Let's let that do the work. Let that do the work. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit of prep time, and, and then once you get in the oven, you can sit back and drink some brews. There you go. Well, if you want to give it a shot, uh, head to our website. Uh, I'm sure you'll love it, uh, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the recipes tab. This one and a ton of other ones there for you to try. Braised venison shanks. That's our uh, Hungry Hunter recipe for this week. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon in Baxter. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Brian. And that'll wrap up this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5. If you're away from your radio or out of town, you can stream the show live. BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com is where you want to go for that. Just click on the Listen Live tab. And also you can listen on demand at BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com or we are podcastable wherever you download podcasts. Podcast One, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcast, wherever it is. Search Brainerd Outdoors, download us, subscribe, like, rate, and review. We'd appreciate that. But wherever you listen to podcasts, you will find Brainerd Outdoors. We'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vernal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your ice castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Roberts Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Pro Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.